Hey, good morning, y'all. I'm Ed Griffin-Hagen. I'm one of the pastors here on our staff at my church. I want to welcome y'all again. Richard, welcome you, but I wanted to welcome you too. I know God has got here who needs to be here. Um, He ordained this moment, you know, before the world came into being. Um, And we're in week four of a series that we call What Every Christian Ought to Know. And again, it's not everything every Christian ought to know. It's what What are the essentials? It's what every Christian ought to know. We started off a few weeks ago with the Scriptures and the idea and the thought that uh, that the Scriptures are the inspired, inerrant, infallible, God-breathed, the Word of God. And then uh, then we talked through um, that if you're a believer, that, that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know that you're saved. The assurance of salvation. And then last week, we talked about uh, about love does. We talked about the the idea that authentic love takes action steps, and it takes action steps in your home, in all of our homes under our roofs. It takes action steps in our house right here in in my church, and then it takes action steps, and it does out in the harvest, out in the world. And the timing is just God's timing. That it, what we did this morning again. I'm being redundant, but that is what we are supposed to do. That is what we are called to do, to go out and be a light in a a very dark place. And so today, we're going to talk about something that on the surface is kind of unpleasant. It's something that nobody really uh, ever wants to talk about. It's something that you don't hear preached in the prosperity gospel pulpits across our country, and it is the idea that every Christian ought to know what happens when a Christian sins. And so we're going to be in Psalm 51 this morning. <clears throat> and I want to set the stage for Psalm 51. And the, the, it's the Psalm of David and the superscription in, in Psalm 51, which there's kind of a superscription in every one of the, just about every one of the Psalms. And in Psalm 51 it says, For the director of music, a Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And the events that David's writing about, about in Psalm 51, they're recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Um, and David is looking back on that and he writes this psalm. And Israel was at war and that war was, was the background for David's sin. And the writer of 2 Samuel, he kind of implies at the beginning of 2 Samuel 11 that David really should have been out at war with his guys rather than remaining behind. Well, he remained behind, and he fell into temptation, and he saw Bathsheba bathing, and he inquired about her, and then he took her. And when she learned of her pregnancy, David tried to cover that sin up, and he sent for her husband, Bathsheba's husband. His name was Uriah. He was off at war, and David sent for him, and Uriah refused to, to, to go home to be with his wife Even at David the king's insistence, Uriah didn't want to go home and enjoy some time with his wife at home when all of his buddies were still out on the battlefield. And in desperation, David planned and he manipulated what was going on. He plotted to murder Uriah on the front lines of that battle. And the plot succeeded and David and Uriah was killed in the battle and David took Bathsheba to be his wife, but that sin didn't go unnoticed. It didn't go unnoticed. Second Samuel eleven twenty seven, 
says the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And so the Lord sent Nathan the prophet. Nathan the prophet came uh, to him and he laid the hammer down on David about this soap opera-ish sordid affair that had taken place. So David committed murder. That murder was precipitated by an adulterous affair on one hand. And on the other hand, he was a child of God. I know that I'll meet David when I die and go to heaven. I know that I will. The Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. And yet he committed just heinous, horrible, hurtful sin. But, but here's what we see in this. We see that if a person is bound to sin, they're bound to suffer. I think this is in your worship guide, and so we're going to have some fill-in-the-blanks in your worship guide this morning. If a, if a person is bound to sin, they are bound, definitely bound to suffer. And so I want us to consider two things as we walk through this this morning. Number one, I want us to consider all of the consequences of sin in the life of a believer. But number two, I want us to consider the cleansing of sin in a Christian's life. So the consequences on one hand and the cleansing on the other hand. Remember, Psalm 51 is written by David after he'd gotten right with God and he's looking back on all the consequences of that sin in his life and he writes this psalm for me and you to go to school on. Y'all know what that means, go to school on. We need to learn from what David tells us in Psalm 51. And there may be more than this, but I want to run sort of quickly through five or six of the consequences that we see in this psalm. First is that sin dirties the soul. It dirties the soul. And I want you to hear as we put different verses from Psalm 51 on the screen, I want you to read and I want you to, I want you to hear David's heart in the, in the words that he uses in Psalm 51. Verses 1 and 2 say, Have mercy on me, O God, according to to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. I shall pay all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now, we got a king. He's got a fine robe. He's got a purple robe. Y'all do know that you had to be rich to the rich to have purple. Purple was the most ex- one of the most expensive things in that ancient world. He had purple robe. He had... Um, Uh, awesome other clothes. He slept on the finest linens that you could find. He he bathed in solid marble bathtubs with, with the finest soaps that money could buy. But he feels grimy and he feels dirty. You do understand that when you are a child of God and you sin, spiritually, you're going to feel dirty. If you don't feel dirty, then there may be another problem there. A pig doesn't say, like, like, woe is me, I'm dirty. Why doesn't a pig say that? Because a pig's world is filth. A pig's world is dirt. A pig lives in that habitat of dirt. And there are some people have some, uh, I don't know what the word, some form, some sort of a form of religion, quote religion, but but they've never been cleansed. They've been starched and ironed, but they have never been washed. And there's this dirt that's there. 
and maybe it's under the surface. But it's always there. There's always this dirt that is there. But, but as a true child of God, you're going to feel dirty when you sin. So number one is that sin dirties the soul. And then number two, sin dominates the mind. We're going to see this in verse 3. And verse 3 says, For as David writing again, he's talking to God. He says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. You think about that. My sin is always before me, day and night and night and day. It's there. It's so part of David's um, consciousness, and he cannot get it out of his head. Haven't you ever done something, and you just, you just can't get it out of your mind? You try but you just you can't get rid of it. Here's a little salvation test. If, if you can sin and you can just totally, completely ignore it, then there's probably a bigger problem. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is not going to let you ignore it. It's one of the things the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us of sin. You can't just blow it off and ignore it. And you may try to kick it out the front door of your house, but it's going to run around the back door and hop in the, in the basement window. It's going to show up in your temper. It, it may show up in your inability to concentrate. It may show up in sleepless nights, or it may show up in a lack of joy. It's all kind of ways that that's going to play itself out and show up in our lives. And so here, David is praying, oh God, I feel so dirty, and I cannot get Uriah's face out of my mind. I guarantee you David's laid there sleeping. And you've got to understand, probably where he's sleeping, he can see the stars. And he's probably laying there, and he's looking up to the heavens, and he's saying to a holy God, I feel so dirty, and he's seeing Uriah's face in his mind. So it dominates, sin dominates our mind, number two. And then number three, sin disgraces the Lord. Verse 4 says, against you, remember he's talking to God, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Me and you, probably. Um, we would say that David sinned against Bathsheba. David sinned against Uriah. David sinned maybe uh, uh, sinned against his wife. He sinned against his family. Very well, we could argue that he sinned against the entire nation of Israel. But you know what? He mentions none of that in the psalm. Who is it that David says, who does he write in Psalm 51, who does he say that he sinned against? He saw sin for what it really, really is, and it's a slap in the face to a holy God. And you know that David loved God. You know he did. And that's probably why it broke his heart so bad. You know, I have sinned and I have done evil in your sight. Adultery and then murder. And you know, when people generally commit adultery, they usually rendezvous away in some hidden place. And it dawns on David here, and you see this in Psalm 51. He says, God, you are watching. You saw what happened. He said, my God, the God that I love, Lord, I have sinned against you and I have broken your heart. You know, a lost man feels bad about what the sin does to him, 
But a saved man feels bad about what the sin does to God. When a son disobeys his father, his heart breaks because he displeased his father. And David says, God, not only has it dirtied my soul, not only does it dominate my mind, but now my sin has disgraced you, and I love you. And so number four, sin depresses our hearts. It depresses our heart. Verse 8 says, and again this is David crying out to God, he says, Lord, let me hear your joy and your gladness. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. He's depressed. He has no joy. There's no gladness. And dude, it feels thrilling and good and exciting in the middle of that sin. Proverbs 20:17 says, "Food gained by fraud tastes sweet, but it only ends, you only end up with a mouthful of gravel. Tastes good at the time, but you end up with a mouthful of gravel." And verse 12 in Psalm 51 says, "Restore to me the joy of your salvation." And David's not saying, "Resave me." There's no such thing as resave me. He didn't lose his salvation. What does he say in that in verse 12? Restore to me the joy of my sal- of your salvation. That's what he lost. He lost the joy that is found in the salvation of the Lord. The most miserable people on the planet are not lost people. It's saved people who have fallen out of fellowship with God. And there's only one thing that can rip the joy out of our lives. Not two or three or four. One thing, and that one thing is sin. And I'm not talking about happiness. I'm talking about joy, not happiness. Happiness depends on what happens. They got even the same letters in there. Somehow, that just kind of came out. Jesus was not happy all the time, but he was full of joy. He said in John 15, 11, he said, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The joy of the Lord is constant, and it is, it's where we find our strength. Happiness is like a thermometer. What does a thermometer do? It, it registers and it measures conditions at any given moment of time. That's what a thermometer does. That's what happiness is like. Joy is like a thermostat because a thermostat controls those conditions. Does that make sense? I mean, sometimes God gives you joy not to remove the pain, but so that you can bear the pain. There's a Christian writer, her name is Barbara Johnson, and and she said, pain is inevitable, but misery is optional. Pain's inevitable, but misery is optional. So number four, sin depresses our heart and our mind. And number five on our list of sin's consequences is that sin defiles our spirit. It defiles our spirit. Verse 10 reads, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David had a rotten, defiled spirit. I want to illustrate that to you in what happened when Nathan came uh, uh, and talked to David. Now remember, David is saved, but he's out of fellowship with God, right? And Nathan the prophet, who was sort of like David's pastor, David's... uh, uh, mentor, David's uh, counselor, maybe. Nathan the prophet comes to him. Remember what David had done, Adul- adultery, and then to cover the adultery up, murder. And Nathan knew it. And he comes to David and he says, listen, bruh, listen. I got a situation 
and I need you to take care of it. I need you to fix it. He, you, are, you are the king, David, and listen, bro, I need you to fix this. These events are recorded in 2 Samuel 12 that, Nathan's ta- uh, that, that I'm talking about. And so Nathan says to David, he says, there's these two guys, this super crazy rich guy, and then there's this other super crazy poor guy. The rich man, he's got car lots full of Lamborghinis and Maseratis and the finest of everything. He's got tons of sheep and cattle and all these things. And the poor guy, the poor guy ain't got no car. Uh, the poor guy ain't got nothing. All the poor guy has is this one little baby female lamb. And he bought that lamb and he had raised that lamb up like that lamb was a child of his. That lamb grew up with his children. It was a member of their family. It, it ate off of his plate and it drank a cup slept at the foot of his bed. How many of y'all have a dog that sleeps at the foot of your bed? And y'all move all over the bed to make room for the dog. Last night I slept in a, in a space about this big because my 12-pound dachshund wanted to sleep where my legs usually go. So this, that, that's, but we love our dogs, do we not? This dude loved that lamb, and that lamb slept in the, in the bed. It was like a daughter to him. One day, this traveler comes by the rich man's house, and, the, and, he, and so the rich man wanted to feed him. But he was so stingy and he was so greedy that he wasn't going to take one of his animals to feed him. He just went over to the poor guy's house, and he snatched the poor guy's lamb, slit the lamb's throat, fed the lamb to, uh, to his, the traveler that came by. And Nathan is telling all this to David. David's getting incensed. And David flipped out and he said, as surely as God lives, that dude needs to be lynched. He's going to have to pay four times over that poor man for what that lamb cost him. And Nathan looked him in the eyes and he said, you are the rich man. Nathan had created that parable to let David know how jacked up his spirit had become. And David said, God, not only has it it's dirtied my soul, not only is it uh, sin is always on my mind, not only has it disgraced my God, not only has it driven me all the way into the pit of depression, but now this sin is now corrupted my spirit. Lastly, sin destroys our testimony. It, and, that, and, and so here's a guy. He's got God's heart. Here's a guy who loves the Lord, but he has gotten into some really nasty sin, and it is it is it has wrecked his witness. This may be the very the worst consequence of all. Verses fourteen and fifteen say this: Deliver me! Remember, David's crying out to the Lord. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Savior and my tongue. If you deliver me from this guilt, my tongue will sing of your righteousness. It will open up my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. And David is saying, I can't even sing your praises because everything about me is stained with that sin. I can't sing because I'm not filled with your spirit, because I'm filled with sin. I've lost my song. I've lost my joy. I've, uh, I, I've lost my testimony. And David is begging the Lord to remove that guilt so that he can sing again of God's righteousness. Back up two verses, verses 12 and 13 say, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And if you'll do that, 
Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Part of what we do in our church is helping people find their way back to God. And you see what happened here. There's no praise. There's no, no, no song. There's no joy. There's no soul winning in David's life. And why? Because the sin had destroyed his testimony. So what are the consequences of sin? It dirties the soul. It dominates the mind. It disgraces the Lord. It depresses the heart. It defiles the spirit. And it wrecks our testimony. So can a Christian sin? Of course a Christian can sin. Can a Christian sin and not suffer? Absolutely not. Remember, the most miserable people on the planet are not lost people. It's saved people who have fallen out of fellowship with God. Now, have I just like completely depressed you? Because that is a tough, tough, true, but extremely tough conversation. And I said this before church, before worship service, we were praying out in the hall. I said, thank God for the butts in the Bible. That's but with one T. Thank God for the buts in the Bible because there is more, but there is more. This is sin, and sin is nasty. But there, you know, there, there's good news in that book. There is a second point that I mentioned a, a little while ago, <clears throat> and that is the cleansing of sin in the life of a Christian. And it's crazy because we're going to go and we're going to look at these same, a few of these same verses We're going to kind of turn the psalm upside down, twist it around a little bit, but we're going to look at some of the same verses, and I want to give you the steps that I think David gives gives us to show us how to bring the psalm back, to show us how to bring the joy back, to, to show us how to bring the praise back, and how to get right in our fellowship with the Lord. And number one is confidence. It's confidence. Look at verse one. Have mercy on me, O God, according to what? According to your unfailing love, according to what? To your great compassion, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, David says, blot out my transgression. Because of that, blot my transgression out. And here's what you know that that, that David knew beyond all doubt. He knew that for a multitude of sins, there's a multitude of mercies. A thousand sins, there's a thousand mercies. A million sins, there's a million mercies. David knew that God had never stopped loving him. Do you think in the middle of your sin God stopped loving you? No, he does not. Loves you probably, no, I was going to say he loves you more, but he can't love you more. He's loving you in the middle of that sin. Don't you buy that lie, that lie that says you did such and such and therefore God put you to the curb. Unfailing love is what? It is unfailing. 33 times in the Psalms, David uses those words, those two words, unfailing love. 33 times in his Psalms, he speaks of God's unfailing love. We, me and you, we need to have that kind of confidence that no matter what we have done, no matter what it is, God still loves us. Mamas and daddies, and I know there's a bunch of mamas and daddies here, don't you tell your kids don't do that or God won't love you anymore. Don't you, and if, if your mom and daddy told you that, they were wrong. Don't you tell your kids that. That is an absolute lie. There is nothing that you can do that will make God love you more and there is nothing that you can do that will make God love you less. I saw this ad one time stuck on a telephone pole and it was a dude looking for his dog, lost dog. And the ad said, lost dog, 
front right paw crippled, left leg messed up, blind in the left eye, very hard of hearing, mange all over his back and all over his neck. He's missing his tail. He was recently neutered. Answers to the name Lucky. No. He, but he was a lucky dog. You know why he was a lucky dog? Because his daddy loved him enough to be hunting him down, to be chasing him all over the streets, to be chasing him up in the woods. We lost our two dogs one time, two golden retrievers years ago, probably 20 years ago. We loved those dogs so much. I hunted those dogs down every single night after work. I was trouncing through the woods and walking power lines. And y'all know where North Highland Church is. In the woods behind there where Academy Sports is. Walking through the every single night for hours and hours. Leaving my two children and my wife at home crying because we couldn't find the dogs. And I remember looking off in the distance on the eighth day. And I saw a gold tail go bouncing. Found our dogs. Why? We love them so much. That's the way God, we're lucky dogs, me and you. Now, but better said, we're, we're, we're blessed dogs because God, He loves us sheer grace. That is why He loves us, pure grace. So number one is confidence. Number two, step two maybe, is confession. Let's look at verse two and three. He says, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I know my transgression." And my sin is always before me. He says, my iniquity, my transgression, my sin. Whose sin does David say it is? He says it's his. Not somebody else's. I'm the one who did it. He says, I know my transgressions. There's one thing that God will never accept for sin, and that's an alibi. Jesus didn't die for alibis. He died for sin. Y'all get that? He didn't die for alibis. He died for sin. And y'all, it's more than just an, an admission. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is fa- if we confess our sins, then he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. And that word confess in 1 John, it means, <clears throat> it means to, to say the same thing. It means to say the same thing as God. This is wrong, Ed. You've done wrong wrong and you have sinned and I say God I agree with you so confession I agree with you I come over to your side and I say about what I say about sin what you say about sin I agree with you I confess my sin that's what confession looks like it's not making excuses it's not blaming the other person and it goes back to the garden Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the snake no confession doesn't do that Proverbs 28.13 says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces those sins finds mercy. What we try to cover, no, when we cover it up, God uncovers it. When we uncover it, God covers it. You get that? Again, 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. And if if he says he's faithful and trust and, and, and trustworthy, unfailing love, 33 times in the Psalms. He'll forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Guys, me and you can be totally clean. 
the Father can look at us and see Christ's robe, beautiful white robe, because it covers us. If we uncover it to him, he covers us with Christ's robe of righteousness. And step three is cleansing. Sin makes you feel dirty. So God gives you a spiritual bath. David says in verse 2, he says, what does he say? He says, wash me. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Notice these three verbs. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Blot out. It, that word, it implies a comparison with human records that can be erased. Something written down and erased. You can't see it anymore. It's not even there. Wash away compares forgiveness to the washing uh, of when you wash clothes clean. And then cleanse speaks of, um, of ritual purification. It's a triple whammy. It's a triple whammy. Blot out, wash away, and cleanse me is what David says. Those three requests stress David's desire for God to completely forgive his sins. Forgive and forget as far as the east is from the west. You get that. If you say to someone, well, I, for I forgive you, but I can't forget it then you did not forgive them. You want God remembering your sins? When He forgives you, they're gone. Y'all get it? They're gone. As far as the East is from the West is a biblical way of saying they can't get no further apart. You don't have to carry that baggage around. God cleans all of that up. He blots it out. He washes that white as snow. With super-duper Clorox bleach, He washes it white as snow. Probably none of us in this room got into the, have gotten into the industrial strength sin that David got in. But it, David was cleansed, and me and you can be clean too. You know what? I hope, I know, I do know this, that if you're doing what you ought to be doing, you can't be doing what you ought not be doing. If you're doing what you ought to be doing, you, can't, you ain't got time to do what you ought not be doing. When you sin, and once your heart gets clean... Get yourself back into service for the Lord. Remember those three steps of, of, of restoration, confidence and confession and cleansing. And don't get this idea, because it's a lie from hell too, that because you've been cleansed, it doesn't make any difference whether you sin. Because just as surely as you put your hand on that hot burner and get burned, if you sin, you are bound to suffer. But thank God for His crazy, amazingly awesome, matchless grace that forgives and restores a sinning Christian. And so here's what we have kind of walked through today. We, the consequences on one hand of sin in the life of a Christian, in fact, just really the consequences of sin, a Christian or not, there's consequences to sin. But then we've also talked about the restoration of, the way God restores us as believers, confidence, confession, and cleansing. And the confidence in God's unfailing love, His compassion, and His grace. He loves you so much more than you can ever imagine. I want you all, it is my heart that you would understand what unfailing love really means. You cannot even imagine how bad He wants to save you. And it is right in the middle Right in the middle of that sin is when he, he loves you and He wants to save you. And He's bigger than any of the sin. It doesn't matter what you've done. He's bigger than all of it. You can't get deeper and nastier than He can get. 
he can get deeper and lower in the pit than you can. And he wants us to have that kind of confidence in his love and in his grace. Now, there's repentance as a component of confession. Lining up your mind, me lining up my mind with God's mind, and agreeing with him as it regards sin and sinfulness and our need for him. And when you do that, he promises that he will cleanse you. He promises this. He promises that he will blot out your transgressions. He promises that he will cleanse you. And when that happens, you are made right before God. He justifies you. Theological term. He justifies you. It's like you got this ledger card. If you're not a believer, you got this ledger card. It's like a balance sheet. and You got credits and you got debits and you got on one, one side you got all these sins. Some of y'all got longer lists than others. You probably ain't going to beat me. My list about that long. And writing in a teeny tiny little font. And I got all these sins. And that cross, one little check mark on the other side of that ledger with what happened at Calvary balances instantaneously. The balance sheet balances. It's an accounting term. Do you want him to balance your life? That's what, that's what he does. He makes it right. And that is available to you right here and right now. And you can repent and you can believe today and he'll save you. And if you have never done that, if you've never done that, consider today, consider Jesus and that offer that he makes of cleansing us. So if y'all would close your eyes, bow your heads. So if you made that decision today, I just want you to pray this prayer with me. Lord, today is the day. It's the day that I want you to cleanse me. It's the day that I want you to blot out my transgressions. It's the day that I want you to wash me. Today is the day that I'm going to place my faith, my trust, my confidence. Today's the day that I'm confessing all of the junk in my life because I know, Lord, that you're going to move it as far as the east is from the west. And I'm doing that, Lord, I'm doing it today. And I'm accepting that cleansing from you. Today, Lord, is the day that I'm making you my leader and my forgiver. And so, look, if you did that today, you know, I want you to grab that connection card that Richard talked about in the seat back in front of you. Put that on that connection card. Um, let us know because we want to pray with you. We want to pray alongside of you. Um, we want to walk that journey um, with you. So if you'll do that, and we're going to do the, our offering in a second, um, drop that connection card in that bucket. Um, again, we've got, we've got a, our prayer team is in the back. Uh, if you want some prayer with somebody, they're going to be back there, and they want to pray with you. Um, you know, we're going to do again the offering in a second, and we're going to have this, this third song, but we've got baptism today, so here's what I want you to do. If you've got a kid or a tot, I want you to go ahead and grab them because I want us to model for our children baptism. I want us, I want our kids and our tots to see what, what we do in obedience when the Lord saves us. So if you do have a kid, go get them real quick, the, the, the tots area and the kids area. They're, they're ready for, uh, for the kids to be taken and, and brought over here. Um, so let me, uh, I want to call our host team up.
um, and let me pray, and uh, and then we'll continue. Uh, we'll continue our worship. Lord, we love you today. Lord, we love you so much because you love us. Lord, when David says so many times in the Psalms, when he's speaking of you, Lord, when he's writing about you, when he's praying to you, and he talks about that unfailing love, Lord, my prayer is that every single person in this room would know and understand that kind of love and have confidence, Lord, in that kind of love. Lord, at this time when we, uh, uh, when we uh, contribute uh, financially, uh, some of what we have. We just have to look up and say, Lord, it, all of it is yours. And we're just thankful that we get some of the resources to handle our day-to-day lives. And Lord, I know, and everybody in this room knows, trusting you with our stuff is not an easy thing to do. It's probably the hardest thing to do. We can, we can come to faith and we can come to trust and we can be saved and we can trust you with everything. But giving up uh, what we have is really the very last element probably for most Christians. It's probably the last thing that we just sort of surrender to you. And so, Lord, my prayer is that this body of believers will trust you enough to trust what you're doing in our church, which is crazy, amazing things, that this body of believers would trust you enough to, to, to give you some of their stuff so that we really can go out in the lost and dying world and shine your light and be your hands and be your feet. And so, Lord, we, as we do that right now, we know and we trust that you're going to take it and you're going to multiply it and you're going to bless it and, and you're going you're to give us the discernment to be good stewards with the resources and use it wisely at the end of the day to use it to bring people who don't know you into a relationship with you. And so, Lord, we thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.